Kira. Good morning. I am excited to do this session. Um, last time I did it, I did it over three sessions, so I'm going to be challenged to put it into one, so I've just got to be very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But the part that I'm doing is entitled this morning, Christianity on the Offensive. I hope you all understand that a big component of Christianity is that we are meant to be on the offensive. Amen? Exodus 15 tells us that amongst his many attributes, God is a warrior. really is. Not only for the Old Testament, but Revelations 19.11 tells us that he judges and wages war. It is part of what God is doing. And of course, because we're created in his image, because we're commissioned by him under the new covenant, um, part of his call on our lives is that we are meant to be the same. Now, let me just say this before I get into this. There, although there are differences, the call to be warriors applies to both male and female because we're all created in the image of God. But before I get into this, I want to say something to the men. I was invited to do a seminar at a combined men's camp and speak on the subject of violence. And uh, here's what I want to say. For too long, men have cried out to God to deliver them from the anger and the violence that is within them. For too long, we as men have cried out to God to deliver us when God put it there for a purpose. And it's like our sexuality, guys. We can no more ask God to be delivered for us to be delivered from it because he gave it to to us for a reason. And we have to learn how to channel and express it properly. So my little story, I was went to school, was fairly timid and shy, and I was badly bullied for a couple of years. And it was hell. It really was. To whatever degree we can experience hell on this earth, it was hell. Both my father and my grandfather were champion boxers. They taught me how to box, but I didn't want to fight. I didn't want to engage. That wasn't how I wanted to live my life. So finally it all boiled over and I started fighting back. And my whole life or the surroundings around me changed. Now... After a while, it went too far, and I became a boxer, and I was very good at it, and I was carrying this chip on my shoulder. So whenever I went to parties or gatherings, there would always be a bully there. I wasn't that big, so they're normally bigger than me, so there would normally be a bully there, and I would challenge them to a fight. We'd step outside. This guy normally bigger than me. Now, I was a boxer. I was in training. It was over in seconds. I did this time and time again and went home and loved it. And my father, who was a boxer, hated it. He'd come out in the morning and say, have you been fighting? Often the skin was broken on my knuckles. And yep, another one went down last night, Dad. And so when I became a Christian, I wasn't a Christian then, by the way. I need to add that. (laughs) Uh, When I became a Christian, 
I had to repent of all of those things. And so in this meeting at this church, this particular morning, there was an incredible move of the Spirit of God. And I knew I had to deal with this. So I went forward on the altar call. I confessed what I'd done, hurt a lot of people, uh, done all those things. And so the Barry Galloway, many of you will know, an, an elder here for many years, the implant of the church, Lower Hutt, prayed for me, and as he laid his hand on me to pray to deliver me from my anger and violence, he stopped. And he said, wow, I have just had a word from God. And he said, the word is this, God is not going to deliver you from your anger and your violence. He is going to teach you how to use it for his glory. Now, I had to go through it, and by the way, I'd never abused my wife or never done anything like that. I had to go through a process of sanctification. But see, the issue is this. There is a whole aspect of the kingdom of God, which we are all part of, that is a call to war. Now, how can we fight a war if we have no anger or passion or violence in us? See, the Bible doesn't tell us not to be angry. The Bible tells us not to let our anger cause us to sin. God has a purpose for it. And this isn't just so-called old covenant thinking or teaching. Jesus stated very clearly in Matthew 10, 34, that he did not come to bring peace. He came to bring what? A sword. See, our challenge, apart from having total control over our anger, is to clearly define the nature of this war that we're called into and then find what part of it God has called us to play in dealing with the enemy as a, as a warrior. Now, I believe in it is not okay. I hate the thought of violence in the home. Never experienced it in my parents' upbringing nor in my own life. I also believe in it out in the streets. I don't believe men should be in violence with one another out in the streets either. It's not okay. As men, we shouldn't be beating up or abusing anyone. But the roles of the church, the role of the church, which we don't do well is to teach men why God put anger and aggression in them. Which, guys, we act out right from little boys in the playground. Our natural propensity growing up is to play fight, to tear around. It's not cowboys and Indians anymore. It was when I was a little boy. It's probably Star Wars. Or I don't know whatever it is these days. But to tear around going, bang, bang, you're dead and all that sort of stuff. See, we need to instruct men how this is a natural part of us, why God put it in us, and that we're not meant to try and suppress it. We're meant to learn how to express it for the glory of God. And if the church would start instructing men on this, we would attract a whole lot more men to the church and make them feel they can belong here without being emasculated. I really mean that. I really mean that. So many men all over the world where I travel come into the church and feel they have to be emasculated because there's no place for them to express what they know is in them. Okay, let's move on to all of us now. 
If we study anointing in the Bible, we learn that with, with the anointing comes war. So if we study the life of Moses, of Joshua, of David, Jesus, Samson, we all see that as soon as the Holy Spirit came down and anointed them, out they went into war, obviously Jesus. Classic case after his baptism with John the Baptist was he goes out into the wilderness and engages the enemy. The book of Ephesians teaches us the same thing. We read in Ephesians 5 about being filled with the Spirit. Vital if you haven't been filled and prayed with the Holy Spirit. That needs to happen in your life. But then we go on into Ephesians chapter 6 and it tells us that we are told to put on God's armor. Why? Because with the anointing, the anointing has now come, comes a call to war, the enemy is going to attack because now that we are anointed with the Holy Spirit, we are a major threat to what he is endeavoring to pervert. Proverbs 8.13 says this, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And by the way, everybody, the fear of the Lord is not to resist evil, it's to hate it. It's easier to resist something when we hate it. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. See, we are called to have the same ruthless and uncompromising attitude towards sin and evil that God does and this should invoke a spirit of violence in us. It should invoke a spirit of warfare in us. So I want to pick up a passage this morning which I want to preach on and it's in 2 Kings 13, verse 14 to 19. Okay. When Elisha became sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over him and said, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Elisha said to him, take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. And he put his hand on it. Then Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. He said, open the window towards the east. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, even the arrow of victory over Aram, for you will defeat the Arameans and Aphek until you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows, and he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. And he struck it three times and stopped. So the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Aram but, and you would have, until you would have destroyed it. But now you shall strike Aram only three times. Now let me give you the backstory. Joash became king of Israel not long after they'd been delivered from oppression in Syria. And although Syria remained a threat, it wasn't defeated, it remained there as a threat, um, Joash is finally given by Elijah the opportunity to destroy them. But you see, he lacks the violence and the passion to pull it through. So he strikes the ground only three times. Now listen here because this is important because Joash had another 
agenda. He was a very weak and a timid man. So Syria, maintaining its power in his mind, was standing between Israel and some other enemies who may have come down to attack Israel if Syria wasn't there. So he wanted Syria to remain powerful. His trust was not in God and God's promise. His trust was the fact, well, if I destroy Syria, I'm going to open myself up to attack from other areas despite getting the word of the Lord. So he says, if I destroy Syria, we will be exposed. So he said, I'd rather leave this enemy as the lesser of the two than open ourselves right up to the main thrust of it. Now, here's the point. If we don't have a commitment to relentlessly strike the devil's forces and show them no quarter, they will take away what we have and they will, they will ultimately rob us of the degree of the blessing of God that we already are meant to be enjoying. And in this sense, we need a change of focus. See, many Christians fall into the trap of making a peace pact, so-called, with the devil. I won't provoke you, I won't bother you, if you leave me alone and all will be well. Now, when somebody is more evil than any of us even have the ability to imagine, you can't make an agreement with them. You can't make a peace pact with them. He'll say, sure, but it doesn't work this way. You see, the kids that got picked on most when I was at school was the kids who wouldn't fight back. And they were bullied and their lives were made miserable. I experienced it. And the kingdom of God is no different. If the enemy gets the hint that we won't fight back, he will hammer us relentlessly and mercilessly. There is no mercy in him. He loves kicking and stomping people when they are down. He loves hearing them cry out in pain and anguish. And he stomps them again. We can't afford to show an enemy like that uh, mercy or do an agreement with him. Matthew 16 tells us hell is the place that's meant to have the gates. God doesn't build forts. Hell is the place that's meant to have the gates. And Satan and his cohorts are meant to be desperately defending themselves from our relentless and aggressive attack in Jesus' name. We are the ones who are meant to be pulling down the strongholds and anything raised up against the knowledge of God. So Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah 48.10. He said, Cursed be the one who does the Lord's work negligently and cursed be the one who restrains his sword from blood. Now there's a huge wealth of teaching and experience in the old covenant behind that. But what Jeremiah is saying is, if God has called you to go out and slash and burn and destroy and you don't do it, you will take a hiding. If we won't become warriors, we go into captivity 
to all sorts of things because God has designed us at least in part to be warriors. And whether we like it or not, we're in the midst of a war and the war goes from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22. It's a war between two seeds and it doesn't stop until Christ returns. God is at war, Psalm 2, Psalm 110, many other places. God is at war, and he wants to fight a lot of the battle through us, and there are reasons for that, which I'm not going into this morning. But before we contemplate getting into battle, we've got to first properly position ourselves for the battle and then capture the will to fight. So let me try and illustrate this. See, Jesus says in John 14, 30, I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. We cannot go out into war until we have dealt with the sin in our own lives. Satan is a cunning enemy, and he does his homework. He has a lot at stake. If we go into battle with sin in our hearts, we're going to get wiped out. So let me give you a battle, and it's old enough, sorry, an example. And it's old enough now for me to say this. So many, many, many years ago in this church's history, a shop opened up in the middle of Upper Hutt, and it was what? Maybe mild today, I can't remember. We, we called it a porno shop. It, it's, it majored in selling all the R18 horrible graphic videos and all that sort of stuff. So mostly this church, but another group of churches decided to get together and do a march through the street and camp outside this porno shop that was up near the top end of Upper Hutt. And I wasn't available for the march, but I got asked to speak to the people before they went out. So we had a meeting here on a Wednesday night and I got asked to speak to them. So here's what I said. Okay, guys, you guys are going to go out into battle and you're going to go out and make a demonstration to this porno shop. And whether you agree or disagree with doing those things, that's not my issue. So I said, all right, it is so important that if you're going to go out publicly and call down fire on this enemy, you make sure you have clean hands and a pure heart. So I said, as a businessman, let me tell you this. By law, we who are in business have to keep all the records of all our transactions and paperwork and everything for seven years. That's a legal requirement for anyone in business. So I said, all the other video stores have records of every video that has been rented from their shop over the last seven years. Now, no condemnation, but if there are any of you at this meeting today that are going to march on the streets against this porno video shop who have rented maybe even only once or twice a video from another store that you shouldn't be watching, don't go on the march. And very quietly, a number of them, all men, a number of them withdrew and left. See, guys, we can't complain and demonstrate and make an issue and attack the enemy unless we have clean hands and a pure heart or he will cream us. 
And that's a key issue for anybody before we go to war. I want to move on. Time's flying. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. See, we so misinterpret the scripture because there's a vast difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. A peacekeeper makes sure nothing disturbs the status quo. Even if it means compromising on everything he or she believes in. It's easiest to do this with our kids when they're playing up. Rather than address the issue, just separate them to get a bit of peace and quiet. Why, if no one else is guilty of that in this room, I certainly am. But we cannot have lasting peace if issues that disturb the peace are not ultimately dealt with. And this sometimes requires confrontation and going through some measure of disharmony until the issues can be or have been addressed. This applies to family, marriage, your place of employment, or basically any place you find yourself where people are called or required to relate together. Right. I'm going to do one more, skip over some stuff because I want to get to a list that I have here. So Galatians 6 tells us that we do not wrestle with flesh and blood but with principalities and powers, which obviously is true. But as a result of this one scripture, we have often developed a view of warfare that is far narrower than the Apostle Paul ever meant us to take or anyone knew of. And in so doing, we have confined warfare to prayer alone, and we've left no expression to those who like to take action. Not just men, particularly men, but many women as well, want to be out in the fray, want to be out in the battle. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So we need to understand the Apostle Paul's life was spent wrestling with leaders, rulers, systems, laws, living authorities and relational difficulties and a whole lot more. And it was the same for Jesus. Satan put Jesus on the cross. We know that. How did he do it? Via the Roman authorities, Pontius Pilate, Judas Judas Iscariot, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were all people. And they were all part of the established systems and orders that carry the power. And it's no different for us today. We need to be careful when we understand this. But our enemy will often manifest himself through a person or persons. There are demonic spirits behind all of these things. But we are called to identify these things. So sometimes, guys, we have to confront people. Sometimes we have to confront systems and authorities, governments, whatever. Because that's where the principalities and powers express themselves. So that's where we have to go in our march against the evil that's trying to take over this planet. It's important we understand that. Often the principalities and powers come in the form of flesh and blood. 
Now we just need to know how to do it and we need to know our authority. I'm going to take a liberty of five minutes and tell you a little story. So my daughter Marie wants to have a party at home. She's 16 here at this church. Lovely group of people all come around. We have a wonderful party and obviously her mum and I are there. And next thing, the boys from St. Pat's. Now, if any of you are ex-St. Pat's College boys, that's fine. I know you're all wonderful. So the boys of St. Pat's arrive, and they want it. They know a couple of the girls there, so they want into the party. Now, they're carrying beer. So Marie comes to me and said, these guys have arrived. I said, do you know them yet? I said, would you like to have them as part of the party? Yep. So I said, all right, guys, leave your beer down at the gate. We don't have any alcohol here. You can pick that up on your way out. You're welcome to stay. So they joined the party and it was fun for a while, but after all, they became a nuisance and they were annoying everybody. So Marie comes to see me and she says, Dad, I want them to go. Now, those of you who know my daughter, she's pretty small. She's feisty, but she's pretty small. And so she looks at them and says, well, Dad, they're not going to go just because I tell them. I say, of course they are, Marie. So I still remember it clear. Here's these guys sitting along this seat uh, in our kitchen in the house we're living at at the time. So I said, Marie, just go and tell them it's time for them to leave. So Marie thinks, well, why not? So she goes up, okay, hey, you guys, I want you all to go now. Now, what Marie didn't know is I'm standing behind her, and I go, <laughs> never said a word, just said that. So they look at me, they all get up and walk out. So Marie goes, Wow, my gosh, Dad, did you see that? I said, oh, you're awesome, Marie. My, my goodness, what a show of power. She loved it. Now, listen to me, guys. When we tell the enemy to be gone in Jesus' name, We must invoke the name of Jesus. When we tell the enemy to be gone in Jesus' name, he's standing there facing us and the almighty God stands behind us and goes, you, you, and you, out. And they flee. And we can go there and go, wow, the power I have in Jesus' name. And Jesus says, Go, my son. Go, my daughter. You're amazing. But that's what happened. That's what took place. And Satan and his cohorts tremble with fear and run as fast as they can go because it's the power of God. And we need to understand the authority we are in when we're on this planet. Prayer is important, but we need more. Daniel 11.32 says, The people who know their God will display strength and take action. It needs more than just prayer. Okay, I want to move off. One more point again, just to reiterate. If we are going to do this, we need to know what the armour of God is and how to wear it. I love Jesse's example the other day about... When his kids go to bed at night learning about the armour of God, they will grow up knowing how to wear the armour of God. We must go out into warfare wearing the armour. So I'm going to give you very quickly, as I finish, a warrior checklist. 
Now, there could be a hundred points in this. I don't know, but these are just some that I have found that help me. First point, as we study war in the Bible, we notice that holy war was always initiated by God, never by Israel. The times that Israel did try to initiate it were absolute disasters. Outside of our own stewardship, that is the things we are called to possess, our family, our homes, anything we possess, outside of our own stewardship, we only go to battle when God initiates it. There was a church in Palmerston North. I think I could probably even share the details, but just for the sake of it, I won't. Many years ago, got together and planted stakes around the city of Palmerston North and said, we claim the city for God. Satan, you can come to these stakes and you can go no further. Disasters happened in the church. So we were called in, myself, Paul Jackson, a number of others, and the church went into a time of prayer and fasting. And the word of the Lord came back, go and gather up the stakes. I never gave you the authority to do that. They took a hiding to nothing, guys, until those stakes, those stakes were physically hammered in until those stakes were withdrawn because they called down fire on a battle that God had never called them to fight. And it's so important we understand that. Second point. God not only gave the command to fight, he also gave the battle strategy. Every battle Joshua fought had a different strategy and Joshua had to go back to God to get the strategy for each individual battle. We must never go into battle without first getting the strategy from God. So it's important that we understand that. Number three I've covered, we must know what God's armour is, what each piece does and how we need to use it and wear it. Number four, we have to have clean hands and a pure heart. I've covered that as well. Any hidden sin will quickly come to the surface when we go into battle. Last one, we must have worked and worked and worked on our basics. Why? Because when we are under pressure, we fall back to what? Our basics. So whatever are the basic foundations in our life, when we're under pressure and nothing puts us under pressure like battle, we will drop back to the foundations that we have already have built within us, good, bad, or ugly. So important. So there's a lot more to say, but I'm going to finish. Time's gone. I want to finish with the passage of Joshua 5, 13 to 15, and it says this. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, now listen to Joshua's call, fired up, anointed by the Holy Spirit, called to go into the promised land by God. So Joshua sees this power and he says, are you for us or for our adversaries? But rather, the man said, no. There's the answer, no. No. 
Rather, I indeed come now as captain of the hosts of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? And the captain of the Lord of hosts said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And Joshua did so. The battle belongs to Christ. Not to you and I, but he wants to train our hands for battle and then send us out to victory to lay hold of all of that that the enemy has stolen. It's not whose side we are on, it's whose side Jesus is on and what he has called us and empowered us to do and we need to rise up and take hold of the territory he's called us to occupy. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the anointing of your Holy Spirit. But we acknowledge, Father, it calls us out to battle. Thank you that you have guaranteed us the victory in the battle as long as we fight it according to your power, in your name, and according to your strategy. Father, call us on to take possession of the wonderful land you have put out before us and to see the principalities and powers broken down and brought to nothing around the sons and the daughters of the living God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.